Welcome to Press Play, the Street Cred podcast with Elena Krasdow, yours truly, and Jimmy Moak from Street Cred PR. In this podcast, Jimmy and I will welcome industry leaders, journalists, influencers, and friends of the firm to shed some light on who they are and the various twists and turns that led them to where they are today. We're grateful to have you listening in, and we hope you enjoy the show. My name is Elena Krasnow. Welcome to Press Play, the Street Cred Podcast. I'm so grateful you're here. I'm the editorial manager and client brand evangelist at Street Cred PR and your host for today's show, along with co-host and managing partner, Jimmy Moak. We will break down the show into two segments, press where we dive into all the hard news about our guest's life and their professional goals, and then play where we have a little extra fun with it. Today, we are delighted to be joined by founder and managing partner of Herbers & Company, Angie Herbers. To give our listeners a little more background on Angie and her incredible career, Angie Herbers is founder and managing partner of Herbers & Company, a full-service consulting firm serving financial advisory firms across the globe. She brings over two decades of experience in human capital consulting, growth consulting, and client experience modeling to help financial advisory firms achieve long-term scalable growth. Angie is a veteran writer and researcher for the advisory industry with regular columns at ThinkAdvisor, CityWire, RIA, WealthManagement.com, and more. Her industry and consumer research have won many industry awards and has been featured in numerous trade pub publications across the world. Investment Advisor Magazine has named her one of the top 25 most influential people in the advisory industry numerous times over the past 20 years. And in 2023, Angie was named Consultant of the Year by Wealth Solutions Report. Angie is a graduate of Kansas State University in Family Studies and Human Services and Personal Financial Planning with a minor in business. Today, she lives in Texas with her family. And welcome to the show. Hi, thanks for having me. My bio sounds a lot cooler than I really am. My goodness. Thanks. Hogwash. Thanks for absolute hogwash. <laughs> hey, this is just the facts. I got all of this off the internet. <laughs> oh, no. Oh, no. Thank you so much for being with us today, though. Jimmy and I are thrilled to have you and to get even further into the weeds of the incredible career you've had. But before we do that, if you've listened to the show, you know, we like to start off with a very important question, which is, what did you have for lunch today? Well, I usually don't eat lunch until about two o'clock. So I haven't had lunch yet today. My morning snack was celery and hummus. So pretty boring. <laughs> no, <laughs> wait a second. Snack. Well, it wait, I did have spaghetti and meatballs for breakfast. So I guess that... That might be kind of cool. There it is. Leftovers yeah. or dinner or lunch for breakfast is you score some points in my book. Yeah. Quick follow up on the hummus. Was it original? Was it flavored hummus? I mean, you can't leave out that detail. No, it was just hope hummus is my favorite. Oh, that's a good one. Yeah. And I like their jalapeno, the jalapeno. Uh -huh. But that's not what I had this morning. This morning I had just their plain hope hummus. So... The breakfast hummus, uh, if you will. Yes. Morning snack hummus. Yeah. <laughs> this pod is not off to the start I was hoping for, but okay. <laughs> Jimmy, do you have any items you ate earlier that you'd like to add into the mix to raise your hopes? Before we hit record, I told you and our producer, Patrice, that I was working on a roast beef sandwich oh, with lettuce, tomato, onion, uh, horseradish sauce, 
on a thin sliced sesame bagel. Because when you're as big as I am, you got to cut out the calories wherever you can. Oh, hush. (laughs) Awesome. That sounds amazing. Love it. Well, glad to hear that we're all well-fed this morning. And I too am a fan of lunch or dinner for breakfast when the time is right. But let's get into it. And we want to start this conversation at the beginning. Just tell us a little bit about what got you excited about serving financial advisory firms and how you first entered the industry. Well, I graduated from a CFP registered school, Kansas State University, and I got excited about helping people with their money in school. I thought I would go for a business degree, and then I stumbled across Family Studies and Human Services, which is all the psychology, and loved it. And then within that program was the CFP registered program, and I thought that personal Mm -hmm. financial planning was a good fit for me. But once I got out into the industry, I didn't actually like working with consumers. <laughs> so I went back to my business roots and I, in a nutshell, I kind of asked myself, how can you pull all this education together? And the thought that ran through my head was, who is helping financial advisors build their wealth? And I thought that could be something that you know really fit my skills. So The last 21 years, I've helped financial advisors build their wealth while financial advisors are helping so many other people build their finances. So that's how I see it. So did you immediately start by wanting to help them build their wealth or did you want to tackle some of the business ops problems that they were facing or was it a little bit of both? Well, the core of building a good business starts with people. So it starts with human capital. I mean, if you don't, if you aren't able to manage people or lead people or train advisors or build career tracks for advisors to keep your business growing, then your wealth isn't going to grow. The value of your business isn't going to grow that much. So the logical place, in my opinion, to start was career tracks. And I just happened to be in a perfect position to talk about that because I graduated from a CFP registered school. 20 years ago, there wasn't career tracks for young advisors. I was part of all these discussion groups with my peers and colleagues about how career tracks didn't exist and how young CFP graduates had to go out and be salespeople, not professional advisors. And so I pretty much launched my career on, let me tell you about what the young human capital are saying, young people, young talent in the industry are saying about the industry and how we can change it. And if we do change it, then all, you know, the whole industry and all financial advisors will be able to build bigger businesses. And so in the beginning, it was about young talent and human capital. And then from there, Herbers and Company expanded into all the areas of practice management under this idea or this mission. I mean, our mission is still to increase the value of financial advisors. Um, you know, it's all under this mission of increasing value for the industry and for financial advisors. So expanding their wealth, being on the side of the advisor, in a sense. 
that makes perfect sense. And it sounds like with your degree too, in the way you approached it, you were way ahead of the curve with the behavioral finance trend that is now absolutely in every conversation in our industry. Yeah, I can't take credit for that. I mean, I have to give this, the CFP schools credit for that. Uh, but there's two types of CFP schools out there. They're the, the ones that are housed in the um, business departments. And then there's other schools that are in the human sciences. and. Kansas State University is in the human sciences. So as part of that degree program, we had to learn behavioral finance. We had to learn um, psychology. We had to learn family studies and human services. We had to learn how to help people in a way that resonates with them deeper than just money. So I didn't come out and there's there was no wisdom I had in this it was the education program that I graduated out of that was ahead of the curve and I'm grateful that I was able to graduate from K-State one of the top CFP schools in the country absolutely and you are now one of the most influential people in our industry. And I am not just saying that. Just look at the awards shelf. It is evident. We'd love to hear as well. What advice can you offer to other founders in financial services, perhaps also to younger women, about how to build an authentic voice and brand as you have done? Well, first, it freaks me out when people say I'm influential. I have to be <laughs> I mean, I get that I write a lot of articles for the industry and that can be influential, but at the end of the day, I, you know, I didn't learn all this in isolation. There was hundreds of other financial advisors and people who contributed to my learning and my growth. And th those are the people who I really love and I think are influential in my life. As far as building an authentic brand, I think that there's two things. I mean, this is how I see it. There's you as the person. So there's me as Angie Herbers, and then there is Herbers and Company. And the, those two things aren't the same. Angie Herbers has a voice of, I was a middle child. I was usually the mediator between my two brothers. Angie Herbers takes more of the kind of objective voice, like I'm in the middle and I can see hundreds of different pathways to what people are trying to accomplish. I don't, I don't think the world is black and white. There's not a quick answer to um, anything, really. There's a lot of gray area in the world. So my voice is just an authentic, like, here's how I see it. And here's the other side. And in fact, if you read you know, I've published thousands of articles, but if you read my articles and you read, you know, all of them side by side, you will see I write one article with one position and then I will contradict myself in the next article offering a different position or a different solution. And the re I do that intentionally because I want all advisors, financial advisors and those who are reading to, to know that there's multiple pathways. So that's my authentic voice. Herbers and Company's voice is a bit different, right? We are, mm -hmm. our clients are the advisory firms and our voice is going to be working in the best interest of the advisory firm. In other words, I mean, we're an independent and objective consulting company. We aren't funded by, you know, any institution. We work with the advisors the same way those advisors work with their clients and that we give objective advice for that advisory firm. So if we're in, in Herbers and Company, if we're 
you know, when we're working with a client, that advice that we give is going to be very specific to the client. So when I look at women and, you know, even building a brand, I think you have to understand first who you are and that you are different from the brand so that there's one voice there. And then secondarily, you have to have values that create the brand that you are creating. What I find is that some people will like intertwine the two and then the voices. Yeah. Um, but for me, the way that I've been able to do it is very much separate myself, my voice from what is the voice of Herbers and Company, even though there's, you know, the, even though there's some overlap there, I'm always going to maintain the voice of, you know, object objectivity for Herbers and Company, and then the voice of offering multiple different pathways and solutions for anything that I'm writing. One quick question. So, and I know that we didn't necessarily exchange any thoughts around this, but I think it's a fun one. Jump back to Angie at Kansas State studying for the CFP, and then fast forward to where you are today. What do you think younger Angie would be most excited about in terms of tools or technology or approaches that you're seeing today's CFPs use day in, day out? Well, younger Angie 20 years ago knew that the industry was basically for the wealthy. Um, today's Angie, what I'm most excited about is that the, the industry is being democratized through all sorts of tech, all sorts of different pricing structures, different client experiences, and then also a different set of talent that isn't forced to only work with the wealthier sell um, mutual funds. So if I'm, you know, if I look at my whole career in the, you know, the 20 years that 20 plus years now that I've been doing this, then the industry's going where I actually didn't think was possible it would go. Mm. That is all consumers deserve financial advice, objective financial advice. And we're seeing that unfold yeah. quite rapidly before our eyes in today's environment, which is so cool. Very cool. And imagine what the next 20 years could hold. Yeah. I know. I, you know, I, Herberson Company gets to see innovations way before they happen. So we're seeing, you know, what might have, what the public might see three or five years from now. And some of the stuff that's coming out, both, both in client experience and human capital and organic growth, inorganic growth, and also different segments of clients that are being served. The things that I'm most excited about is, we're going to see people who have less than 250,000 in assets being served really well through these advances. And that's the community. I think that's the future. Those, the people who are able to expand their skills and get intellectual capital that they couldn't otherwise afford to help them expand their wealth is super exciting to me. I think they did. I think we all deserve good objective advice. And I think that there's certain segments of the market that have been left out that are no longer going to be left out 
today, three, five, 10 years from now. Amen. Absolutely. It's a very exciting moment for me to, to enter the financial services industry when all of this movement is already underway. Sure. Yeah. And kind of coming from the world of advocacy, it's just so cool to see there really is this whole rally cry happening around democratization right now. And it's really powerful. And it's going to, like you were saying, actually really benefit the lives of millions of people. Yeah, absolutely. I have to tell you, I mean, I think this happens when we get older, but I get jealous of the young talent that's coming out of schools today because the number of career tracks that they have both Mm. in professional advice, the types of clients that they can serve, there's even tech career tracks, the number of career tracks that they have graduating from a CFP registered program is substantial. And I I think, you know, I'm projecting a little bit here, but I think that if I were to have graduated today, my career would have been very, very different because of all the opportunities that are out there. So I'm just excited for the young, young talent. Yeah. But you've been a part of forging that for the people who are entering that moment now. So you can also take some ownership and pride in that. I certainly believe. Well, thank you. I, you know, that is the goal. We're expanding the wealth of financial advisors. And to do that, we do have to expand career tracks. So I appreciate the record, you know, the recognition on the work that we have done. It, it takes a lot of people. So I certainly do it alone. And one thing you alluded to in saying that, you know, Herbers and company kind of knows things years before the rest of the industry or world does, I assume is related to all the research that Herbers and company and you have conducted over the years. So we're also curious, how has that influenced the direction of your firm? And in particular, what can you tell us about the most recent study that you all just released? Great question. For those who don't know, Herbers and Company is one run research in the background of our consulting firm every year, except the first three years we were in business, every year we've been in business. And the way that we see it is we can run research on financial advisory firms, or we can run research on consumers. And we are, we've nearly been 100% focused on consumer research because consumers direct where financial advice is going. And as a result of that, knowing the consumer very, very well, we're able to guide the advisory firms very well. But this year we did something a little bit different and we took our consumer research that we uh, generally conduct every year, um, sometimes more than one time a year. And we paired it with uh, firm research. So we were trying to answer the question, if you follow the consumer trends or if you follow consumer demand, does that actually impact your advisory firm growth? Uh, The result of that is research that we just released in the 2023 Herbers and Company Service Market Growth Study. And what we learned is there is a misalignment between what consumers really want and what financial advisors are providing. And we want to know how to merge that gap because if financial advisors provided exactly what consumers wanted, then we were were able to help more consumers 
And we're able to increase the happiness of those consumers reaching out to the advisory industry. So the research that we just released addresses that question uh, directly. I don't know if we want to get into the data points of the research. There were over 300 data points, but the data point that was most interesting to me, which I hope Herbers and Company can help solve, is that there were over 250 plus combinations of what comprehensive financial advice actually meant. Wow. Which means... Consumers don't know what comprehensive advice is and financial advisors don't agree. So, you know, based on this particular study, you're talking about Angie Herbers in general, not Herbers a company, but one of my missions going forward is I think comprehensive financial advice needs a cohesive agreed upon definition um, for the benefit of consumers so that they know what they are buying. They aren't just buying the word they know yeah. what comprehensive advice is what it includes and you know what it doesn't what it doesn't include so that was the most interesting data point to me out of the survey interested to know that during your years of doing research on both the advisor set as well as the consumer set on balance, how often are you coming to the conclusion that advisors just don't know what they don't know about the average family or the average individual? Mm -hmm. Are they like, because they're living in their own world and yes, they've already worked with you. You've helped them accumulate their own net worth. Their wealth has grown because their firm is growing. But do they? does that train of thought like ever um separate from what we were talking about earlier as it relates to the democratization of advice yes there's significant i don't know i don't know the the right word i think a lot of financial advisors get stuck in this segment that they are serving and as a result of serving that segment very well, they believe that the rest of the consumers are being served very well. I'm going to give you a, a very good example. This was about seven years ago. I had a, a CEO of a firm that I was that I was working with, and they were targeting the mass affluent market. And as they were talking about their you know their their client experience. I was looking at it and I was saying, you know, this doesn't, from the research that we're seeing and from our experience with the, the mass affluent market, this doesn't exactly match the mass affluent market. It, ma it matches more of like the emerging um, high net worth in, and there's somewhat of a gap between the mass affluent and the high net worth. And, and and I felt like, you know, it was a hard position to be in as a consultant because I felt this is this client experience isn't going to be successful for the goals that they had. So I called up the CEO and I said, hey, when was the last time that you sat down at dinner in a Chili's or in an Applebee's or in a Chipotle? When was the last time you actually sat there, you know, ate, ate a meal there and watched the consumers that are walking in and the consumers walking out. And he's like, oh, I don't eat at those places. And I said, I want you to go eat at one of those places. <laughs> and I want you to see what 
see what the mass affluent really, really is looking at. Mm. Um, now he didn't, to my knowledge, he didn't go eat at one of those places, but the analogy was true. Like I was just saying to him, you don't know this segment of the market, but years later, this is three or four years later, he sent me this text and he said, the best thing that you ever told me is that I didn't know my target market and you were right. I didn't know the mass affluent. I knew the market that I was in. And I think that that's what financial advisors have to realize is that as financial advisors, they are an example of, of usually the target market that they are serving. But until you go serve other markets or until you get out into the world and you understand how the mass affluent or the low net worth actually have to live, then there's no way you're going to be able to build a client experience around them. And we see that quite a lot, even on the high end. Um, yeah. I had a, Not to make this a long conversation, it was a really great question, but I had an advisor years ago who, who wanted to target the ultra high net worth. And the first thing, I, the first question I asked him is how much do you know about alternative investing? He's like, well, I don't know all that much about it. And I was like, you better figure it out because if you want to target, you know, 10 million in assets or above, you better start understanding how those con consumers live and how they look at investing or how they, how they look at, you know, their friends, companies, or the networks of people that they have to additional opportunities for investing. So the bottom line is, Financial advisors, in my opinion, have gaps and in, in the consumer segments that they are as financial advisors or that they are serving and it benefits them to, to look at research that's way outside of whatever they're serving or whatever they're targeting so that they can understand what's missing in the industry. And I hope Purpose and Company can, can bring that to them through our consumer research. So. I'm glad, even though you had to wait, I'm glad you got that text three or four years later. <laughs> Me too. <laughs> I remember Same. the reply to the, I remember my reply to the text. It was like the, a shy emoji, like, thank you so much. <laughs> and for a Chipotle gift card, perhaps. <laughs> <laughs> um, right. No, I love that you brought it there because I think that also really speaks to something we say all the time, which is you have to know your audience. If you don't, you know who you're speaking to, right? Then how can you possibly have the right narrative for them? Um, right. And yeah. from our perspective, taking that one step further, we can't consult an advisory firm if we don't know their audience. Mm -hmm. I mean, we have to know our audience, which is financial advisors, so that Herbis and Company could be successful. But but our clients can't be successful if we don't know their audience too. Mm -hmm. So we feel it a, more as a duty to conduct the research that we conduct and. Mm -hmm so that we're better educated right on what we're trying to build so yeah well you need that objectivity to really assume that you know anything because you yeah, can't just go sure. based on your own biases and assumptions oh for sure and there's so many people that do out there i mean I, one of the things that i guess i'm most proud of at Herbers and company is just ch challenging the bias like yeah. I tell our senior consultants all the time. In fact, every Monday morning, we have this, what's called a client experience meeting. And we come to that client experience meeting, trying to knock down every 
bias any of us have toward one successful strategy or another, because it's very easy in our industry to become prescriptive. Um, many people become very, very prescriptive on what they're telling advisory firms, or even advisory firms can become prescriptive on what they're telling clients. So one of the things within Herbers and Company that's very, very important to me is that we don't end up being prescriptive to the clients that we serve because there's not one of them are the same and not totally. one pathway is going to be the same pathway for every other yeah. firm. Yeah. And I think your research is so far reaching that it certainly embodies that mission. Thank yeah. You. So speaking of the PR side of it a bit, we know you have incredible experience as a veteran writer and obviously as a founder. How do you think public relations and marketing can most benefit companies like Herbers and Company? Or the advisors that you work with. Or Yeah, or the advisors, absolutely. Yeah, <laughs> it's hard for me to answer this question, right? Because every business is different. And, you know, like I said earlier, I don't want to be prescriptive. So I'll just talk to it in terms of Herbers and Company. Uh, from Herbers and Company's standpoint, PR is essential. Marketing is optional. And mm -hmm. when I say that, when I say it like that, it sounds like we're saying, well, you don't have to do any marketing. That's not true, but... We will, our goal is to amplify, amplify the Herberson Company voice on the foundation of objectivity and giving the industry multiple solutions for what they are trying to achieve. And we couldn't do that um, without, we just can't do that without a PR team to help us because when you're writing so many different perspectives and you're not getting stuck on the just, you know, one perspective and amplifying that across the industry, we have to have a very, very good PR team that knows what, you know, solution that we're writing about, what publication fits that solution that we're writing about. So I feel like the success of PR and throwing out the markings Spot. But the success of PR for Herbers and Company is helping us find the right spot so that we can continue to offer multiple solutions. And we need the, we absolutely just have to have a PR team to help us place those articles in the right place and place the research in the right place to spread the messages that we're trying to, to spread. So totally. And we see the difference too in your approach between the CityWire column versus the Think Advisor column versus the Wealth Management column, like each one has kind of a different objective and message that you're leaning more into. And I think that strategy is really smart too. Yeah. And some of them have different voices. I mean, I can tell you that my my most, most authentic voice is CityWire. Ask Angie. <laughs> right. <laughs> you get into the writing, you know, I'm so blessed to be you know, mentored by awesome editors and writers in this industry at a very, very young age. And I learned how to amplify my own voice in the writing, but also change the voice for the audience that I was mm -hmm. trying to write for. And that's a cool skill to have to meet the objective that Herbers and Company has, which is getting multiple solutions out to those who we serve. So, yeah. 
another good way to flex the middle child muscle too of being oh for sure <laughs> the arbiter of so many different narratives and sides oh, of the equation for sure, for sure. Yeah. The mediator in the middle between two brothers who are who needed mediating yeah. <laughs> it makes me wonder how many consultants are middle children because it seems like That's an interesting question yeah maybe really? your next study could cover that <laughs> yeah i'll keep you posted <laughs> Sounds good. Amazing. Well, let's flip it to our play segment. We'd love to, yeah, get a little bit into the other side of your life beyond your career. So if it weren't financial services, what do you think you'd be doing? Well, I know the answer to this question. It might shock some people, but I would absolutely be a fashion designer, not only because I love the story of fashion design, but I grew up sewing. I've studied at the University of Arts London in fashion design. Mm. Um, I, I'm going to share this story because many people don't know this story. Fashion Please. design has been the most influential um, segment of all industries for women to build wealth. And how that happened was prior to the 1960s, women couldn't open bank accounts or get loans or get mortgages without a man, usually their husband, father, or brother signing off on those bank accounts, mortgages, or whatever. So if you look at the major women fashion designers of the early, you know, the early 1900s, Chanel being one of them, she had to be sponsored by a man. In the 1960s, all of this all of this changed. But prior to the 1960s, the way women built wealth was accumulating fashion. So accumulating purses, dresses, jewelry, that was their wealth. So it wasn't until 1974, and to, to put this in perspective, this is four years before I was born. Wow. It wasn't until 1974 that discrimination to open bank accounts, gain mortgages was, it became legal for women to, and to, for women not to be discriminated against to open a bank account. So not only do I love how fashion has built the wealth of women and continues to actually influence and build the wealth of women, but I also love fashion because I can make anything. So, oh, uh, I know where this is going. Yeah. You were recently on a trip and brought home some goodies, right? Yeah, for sure. I, uh, so I go to London to get material and then I sometimes will go to Paris. I have this little French tailor in Paris who will go to the runway shows and get me the scraps. So like I have scraps off the Chanel runway shows and the Gucci runway shows. And then I take those scraps and I'll make something kind of fun. That's awesome. Yeah. Very cool. Now, you realize that this changes everything for us and for our biweekly calls. <laughs> I can no longer show up wearing a street cred t-shirt because I'm just going to feel out of place and that you're <laughs> judging me. Well, that's the thing about fashion designers. If you know anything about fashion designers, they're the worst dressed. <laughs> right? They're dressing people. So you don't have to worry about that, Jimmy. Okay, cool. What you're saying, I don't know if we have Sex in the City fans out there, but reminds me of Carrie Bradshaw going to a bank teller and asking for a loan. He's like, what assets do you have? And she's like, I have about 100 pairs of Manolo Blahniks. Yes. He's like, that's not going to cut it. <laughs> yes. What's crazy is that worked in the 1950s. Wow. Yep. 
Wow. That's a great anecdote. That's yeah. Mm -hmm. Glad that you shared that story. Okay. Talk us through what happens after work. What do you do for fun? Oh man. Fun is my problem. Like I have too many things that I enjoy doing. So I'll just give you the list. So our family is like a sports food family. So we're either playing golf, which is a sport I hate, but I am addicted to. I just keep going back to. <laughs> That's an interesting so contradiction. Right. So <laughs> it's addictive. Like you get out there, you like walk off the golf course and you say, I'm never playing this sport again. And then like right on the 18th hole, you like stink it off of a chip and you're like, oh man, now I'm stuck in this <laughs> dumb game forever. So golf, we're a big ski family. We love to cook dinners together. We cook dinner almost every night that we're together. And then alone if I'm alone I'm this is part of my like little design side but I'm on the seventh house I've um redesigned I don't remember the last time I didn't live in a construction zone like my background <laughs> all like my podcast and everything are different because I'm usually like rebuilding some <laughs> part of some house that I'm in I and from the design perspective one of my greatest achievements is actually my Austin house is the backdrop for one of a, a major furniture brand so mm -hmm. you have probably toured my Austin house and you don't even know it very um, cool so besides sewing designing ski sports cooking together that that pretty pretty much sums it up I love it. I'm glad there's so much fun in your life. It's oh, yeah. that balance because you oh, work so sure. hard too. Yeah. Well, fun is kind of why you work, I think. Yeah. Well, for me, it's mm -hmm. what you want to have a fun life. You've got one to live. So absolutely. Okay. And for our final question, and we like to end the show with a moment of gratitude. So just ask that you shout out someone in the industry you admire, perhaps someone on your team, or just say something nice about someone who you think might be listening today. Well, it's hard for me to pick just one person because there is hundreds, probably thousands at this point, people all over the industry who've helped me throughout the two decades I've been able and blessed to consult in the industry. But I think I, I have to give a big shout out to the team at Herbers and Company, to the senior consultants, to the service team, and to all the clients that we're able to serve every day. Um, I have an incredible team. The the people on the team and the those the other people in Herbers and Company that help lead Herbers and Company allows me to be out into the press sharing information allows me to write more articles for the industry. And I'm just uh, very grateful for everyone who within Herbers and Company who works both behind the scenes and out with clients to, to advance the industry and to help so many firms. So I feel incredibly blessed to have a lot of people um, doing what we do in Herbers and Company every day. Absolutely. We feel blessed to work with you all. And we are so yeah, grateful for the work that Herbers and Company does as well and for the incredible team. As a uh, a partner with, with two partners that I work with, I can tell you right now that every 
contributor, every person at Street Cred, no matter their title, is a contributor to the team's overall success as well as our clients' successes. So spot on. I'm right there with you, Ange. It's so true. I, you know, I've had this conversation within Herbers and Company a lot of times. And when I win an award in the industry or when something is published, I always go back to the team and I say, listen, I might be the mascot of this company, but we we aren't able to help people to get our voice out into the industry and or to to win awards if there wasn't a whole team behind the organization. I actually kind of feel guilty sometimes about winning awards because I know that I deserve maybe 5% of that. So like you, Jimmy, it, it takes a village and I'm just incredibly grateful that there is a village out there, street cred, Herbers and Company, who, and many others who are uh, working with advisors alongside financial advisory firms to make the whole industry better. So I'm really grateful for all of that. Love that. And love the closing note that even if you're as amazing and incredible and accomplished as Angie Herbers, I think you deserve more than 5% of the credit. <laughs> no here, one here. does it alone. Um, and I think that's such an important and beautiful note to end on. So thank you so much to our listeners. We hope that you learned something new and enjoyed hearing about Angie's story in financial services. Thank you, Angie, for being on the show. We're so grateful to have had you. Be sure to write us via email at pressplay at streetcredpr.com to tell us what you think, ask us any questions, suggest any guests, or even tell us what your breakfast snack was this morning. Thanks again for tuning in, and we can't wait to introduce you to our next guest. Thanks so much, everybody. Thank you, Ange. Yeah, thank you, guys. Thank you for listening to Press Play, the Street Cred Podcast. Visit our website at streetcredpr.com and find us on Twitter and LinkedIn. Please don't forget to click the follow button to be notified when new episodes become available. And if you enjoyed the episode, we'd love nothing more than if you would rate and review the show. The information covered and posted represents the views and opinions of the guest and does not necessarily represent the views or opinions of Streetcred PR. The content has been made available for informational, educational, and entertainment purposes only. If you have questions about the show or Street Cred PR, feel free to reach out to us. Thanks again for listening. <laughs> <laughs>